All right. Hey, my name is Rich, and uh, like I said, we're just really glad that you've joined us this morning. Uh, if you're a guest, man, we hope you feel right at home here um, at CTK Ferndale today. Um, at one time, a lady named Henrietta Howland Green uh, was the richest woman in America. Uh, back in the early 1900s, Henrietta, who was also uh, actually more commonly known as Hetty Green, uh, she inherited this vast fortune from her father. Uh, the fortune that she inherited uh, in today's currency would have been worth $100 million. A very, very wealthy woman who had a, just a knack for making money. So she gets all this, this huge inheritance, and she just went to work investing it. She actually just greatly expanded her wealth by investing in Civil War bonds. Um, she was so rich that during the, what's become known as the Panic of 1907, the city of New York regularly came to her for loans in order to keep the city afloat. She had a lot of wealth. There wasn't another woman on the planet as wealthy as her, and probably not another person on the planet as stingy and as miserable as her. Her nickname was the Witch of Wall Street. She was the the Ebenezer Scrooge of her day. Um, Her reputation as a miser was just legendary. She hoarded all of her wealth. She hardly ever spent it. Um, Even Guinness Book of World Records took notice of this, and they awarded her the distinction, world's uh, greatest miser. So she wore long outdated black dresses that would eventually wear out and turn a dark shade of green. Uh, her, her body odor was so foul from poor personal hygiene that her desk was actually kept a distance from everybody else's. And you're probably asking, well, why didn't she just have her own office because she was so wealthy? Well, she didn't want to spend the money on rent, and so she actually did almost all of her work at one of the national banks in New York to save money. She was known to arrive at the bank where she worked, and here's a quote, with a metal pail containing dry oatmeal to be mixed with water and heated on a radiator for lunch so as to avoid a restaurant tab. And stories about her her miserly ways just abound. I mean, you can just Google it and see they're they're all over the place. Um, One story tells about how one time she spent half a night searching her old carriage, not her new, new carriage, her old carriage for a lost stamp worth two cents. Um, Another, that she instructed her laundress to wash only the dirtiest parts of her dresses to save money on soap. Um, Another tells about how she would travel thousands of miles alone, which back in the day uh, was very, very rare for for women to do. She would travel thousands of miles to collect a debt of a few hundred dollars. Hetty Green died in 1916 at, at 81 years of age, and when she passed away, this stingy miserly lady in today's currency uh, was worth two to four billion dollars. She had a lot of money. And most of us hear a story like this and we're just dumbfounded that somebody could possibly live this way. You know, if you have a bank account that's padded with, with hundreds of millions of dollars, why not go out and get some new dresses? You know, why not trade in the oatmeal for steak and eggs? Why not spend some of this money? You're a rich person. Why live as a poor person? You have a lot. Why live as if you have absolutely nothing? Why not live in light of all that you have? And as we're going to see today, living like this is actually much more common than we realize. In fact, there's a pretty good chance that there are some in the room today 
that are living this way even right now. Only it doesn't have to do with material blessings. It has to do with all the spiritual blessings that you've been given in Christ. And the text that we're going to be spending our morning in is found in Ephesians chapter 1. And if you truly believe, if you truly believe everything that we're about to read this morning, it will literally flip your life upside down. You will find yourself living way differently than you currently live. You see, for, more, for, for, for many Christians, they go through life living as if the blessings that they've been given are small, as if what Christ has done for them really, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. They kind of live like Hetty Green, living um, as if they're, they're poor, when in reality, they've been made very, very rich in Christ, blessed beyond measure. But so often, we either don't see it, or we just simply don't believe it, and, and we believe something different. We believe that, that as Christians, we've been given less than, than everybody else. And so we go through life discouraged, deflated, uh, de- uh, confused, lacking peace, lacking joy. One of the biggest problems with Christianity today, particularly in Western culture, is that it's, it's built around this idea of self-help. And so what, what it does is it basically takes the, the uh, Christianity and it boils it down to nothing more than a set of principles whereby if you follow these principles, live by them, you'll experience the good life. You'll have a good marriage. You'll have uh, kids that will listen to you. You'll have emotional health. You'll have uh, financial peace. You'll have a better friend, um, better friends. Just find the principle and work really hard to live by it. And, and now, although it's true that if you follow the principles of the Bible, your, your life will be built on a much stronger foundation, if that's all being a Christian is to you, then you will end up missing the central point of the Bible and the most amazing thing about the Bible, and that's that the Bible and its instructions are given so that you might have a relationship with Jesus. The point is that we would know God and, and not only know him, but know what he has to say about us. And as you get to know Jesus and you get to know who you are in Jesus, here's what happens. All the right living follows. All the joy that you're after follows. That more loving person that you want to become follows. That person who lives from a place of deep peace and contentment in the depths of your soul, all of that will begin to flourish and grow in your life. But here's the deal. It'll happen with a lot less work. You'll change and grow. The Bible Use the picture of, of the fruit of the Spirit growing in your, your life. The fruit will grow in your life, much like fruit does on a tree. Fruit on a tree doesn't have to work really hard to grow. All it has to do is the tree just has to be planted there in the water, in the, in the, the soil that's being water. In the, and, and as it does that, it just it flourishes and grows. And when you know and believe what the Bible has to say about God and what the Bible has to say about you, it just it changes you. Um, I've heard it put like this, right believing leads to right living, not the other way around. It's right believing. When you believe right about who God is and what he says about you, it just, it leads to right living. And when it comes to right believing, really one of the most important passages in the entire Bible for you to believe is the one that we're going to be reading and unpacking this morning. Uh, We're in this series looking at the book of Ephesians, and in this book, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. And a- a- as you read through this book, you would, 
you, you would think that Paul is actually standing face to face with Jesus in heaven because he's just writing with such enthusiasm and joy. But in reality, he's actually writing this book from deep within the bowels of some deep, dark, dank prison somewhere uh, most likely in ancient Rome. But even though he's bound up physically and living with just the most brutal circumstances, here's Paul, as you're going to see, he's overcome with joy and he's overcome with worship in light of who God is and who God says that Paul is. So Paul writes in chapter 1, and we're at verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You know, last week I I talked to you a little bit about how this is going to be a three or four month long sermon series and how some of these types of series can easily drag out into like two years. And and, uh, honestly, um, the more I spend time here in Ephesians, the more I realize that what we're actually doing is we're just, we're going to have a hard time squeezing everything in for three or four months. You know, the truth and the weight of this, this verse, if you just pop it back up on the screen again, the truth and the weight of this verse alone is saying enough that we could just hang out here for the next few months. You know, we could talk about what it means to have God as our Father, what it means to have a dad in heaven who, who doesn't abandon us when we make mistakes and when we fail, a dad who won't turn his back on you, a dad uh, who, who provides, protects, encourages who is always, always available to offer you wisdom and to offer you insight when you lack. You know, for the one who's put their faith and trust in Jesus, you now have a Father who is perfect in every single way. And and you, you might have grown up with an abusive dad, maybe a reclusive dad who just kept to himself. Maybe you grew up with an absent dad. Maybe you grew up with a dad who was just always angry. But that is not the kind of father that God is. He is the father that you always wanted, the perfect heavenly father. And and we could be right here all month, but where I really want to hang out uh, this morning is actually the second part of this verse where it declares that God the Father has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, just before we get into what the blessings are this morning, we're just going to kind of uh, start to get into them this morning. Let me just talk to you a little bit about what the heavenly realms are, because maybe you're going, what in the world does that mean that he's blessed us in the heavenly realms with with these blessings? Scripture teaches that there is a realm or a world that is more real than the one that we're actually looking at right now with our own two eyes. And and that's the realm where the real drama, the the larger drama is is unfolding all around us. You can't see it, but just because you can't see it, doesn't make it any less real. Anybody ever seen The Matrix? It's kind of like that in a way. It's all around you. It's there. You can't see it necessarily, but it doesn't mean that it's, it's not real. Well, this, this other realm, the, the spiritual or the heavenly one, is the one where, where the battle between the forces of good and evil, uh, that battle is being played out every single day. To which maybe somebody in the room is tempted to say, okay, really, Rich, like, are you saying that you believe in angels and demons and, and, and all that, that kind of stuff? To which I would say, yes, and, and you don't. Like, I'd be curious to hear how you account for kids deciding to shoot up schools. 
Or how do you account for the crazy suicide rate among teens? How do you account for human sex trafficking? Or how do you account for some of these large-scale atrocities that have happened throughout history, like genocides, like the Holocaust? How do you account for all that? You think that that's just all the result of bad choices or bad parenting? No way. There is a, a realm where there is this cosmic battle that plays out even right here, right? It's, it's always happening. And, and there's this negative side of what happens in that realm, but what, what Paul is getting at here is he's wanting us to see that there's, there's also some really amazing things. In this heavenly realm, Christ sits on a throne. In this realm, he rules and he reigns. On Easter Sunday, we're actually going to look a little deeper into this, but just as a teaser, in Ephesians 2.6, it talks about how when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, um, God seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So not only is there a heavenly realm, but according to the scripture, we're seated with Christ Jesus in this realm, to which someone's probably going, what the heck, Rich? I'm sitting, seating, seated, whatever the word is I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm sitting here in, in Ferndale, in a little building in Pioneer Center. What do you mean I'm, I'm, I'm seated with Christ in, in heavenly realms? What are you talking about? Well, here's what this means. Jesus is there literally in person, but, but even though we're, we're not there literally, we are there in the sense that as Jesus is the head, and, and what does the Bible, the Bible calls us? It calls us his body, and, and in God's eyes, our standing got to get this. Our standing is the same as if we were already in heaven because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And all the spiritual blessings of that place are ours right here, right now, on March 18th, 2018. And in this text, the Bible says that we've been blessed in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. It doesn't say you've been blessed in spiritual realms or heavenly realms with some blessings. It says, no, you've been blessed with every blessing. And so what are those blessings? Well, let's read on. Paul writes, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So if you're, if you're taking notes this morning, here's the, here's the first blessing that we're going to hang out on this, this morning, and that's this. We're chosen. Now, it's one thing to be chosen by the, the sports team as you're hanging out on your school playground. It's another th- thing to be chosen by the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, to be a part of his family. Completely different. Um, you weren't somehow forced upon God. You know, it's not like grandma was praying and praying and praying and praying for you and and god's up in heaven going oh i'm just tired of all this all right okay i guess i'll take them into my family so i don't have to hear her praying anymore that's not how it works and and it's not like 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 this was a last minute decision he chose you the bible says before the creation of the world no such thing as as babies who are accidents in god's eyes before the creation of the world the Bible says. And then scripture goes on to say that not only were we chosen, but it says in verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now that's a mouthful that we're going to unpack, but the second blessing we see here is this. 
His plan all along has been to adopt us. The Bible uses this word, he predestined us. Now, we're going to actually, uh, that, that word predestined and this whole concept of him choosing us is a topic that we're actually going to dive into a little bit more next week. Uh, that word predestined was actually not, when I was going through Bible college, that wasn't, I didn't look at that, that as a good thing. That actually messed me up big time, and I even wandered away from God for a season because it just confused the heck out of me. But we're going to pack that next week. But, but for now, it says this, um, he's, he, he, his plan all along has been to adopt us. And when you really let this sink in, it reveals just how amazing our Heavenly Father is. Before the world was even made, he knew everything about us. He knew the good and the bad. He knew that we would turn against him. He knew that we would rebel against him. He knew that we would hate him. He knew that we would fall over and over and over again. And yet, despite all of that, and despite knowing that he would have to send his son to die for us on a cross, God's plan has been to adopt us. And this, uh, the Bible says, has given him great pleasure in delight. You know, imagine, so I don't know where you live, but just go to your neighborhood for just a second and, and just imagine you there in your neighborhood. And imagine that, that in your neighborhood, you've had some new neighbors move in. Uh, there's a mom and her three-month-old baby boy. Uh, dad has completely left the picture. The moment that she, he found out she was pregnant, he was out of there. And, and one day as you're out talking with the mom, you, you get more of a picture of who she is and what she's gone through. She's had a really rough life. She's been abusing drugs and alcohol her whole life, even as she was pregnant. And with tears in her eyes, she, she explains what the doctors have told her, that her baby is going to have an extremely challenging, difficult life. In fact, he's already addicted. His cries aren't for milk, but for the drug he took in while he was being formed in his mother's womb. And you take a second look, and you notice the birth defects caused by the drug. She goes on to tell you that he's likely going to suffer all kinds of learning difficulties. He's likely going to have all kinds of behavioral issues, that physically his growth will will likely be stunted. And then she looks at you, and and with utmost sincerity, realizing that she's not going to be able to offer this baby the life that, that, that he deserves, she looks at you and asks if you want to adopt now imagine that in that moment, you, you have some kind of superpower where you can just kind of look out into the future with total certainty. And you know exactly how this kid is going to grow up. You know that, that he's going to completely fail at just about everything in life. He's going to destroy his life with drugs. He's going to end up hating you as you give him boundaries to live by. You know he's going to end up in and out of juvie. He's going to hurt a lot of people. And as you look at this little baby, you can see his entire broken future in front of him. If you're, if you're God in that moment, staring at this broken little baby with a broken future, it's in that moment that with utmost joy and pleasure, you wholeheartedly say, yes. I would be willing to move heaven and earth in order to adopt this little baby. But, but here's the deal. It gets even more astounding. Imagine that, that the mom says, but, but okay, you have to wait until he's 18. 
and the reason that she wants you to wait is because she wants her son to decide whether or not she wants to join your family. And so as you watch this kid grow up, you see everything that you saw actually come to pass. You see the anger. You see the drugs. You see the multiple suicide attempts. You see in and out of juvie, a loner with no friends. But that doesn't change a single thing. Your excitement for the day you can adopt him only builds until finally the day comes. He turns 18. He's up for adoption. And looking around at the broken ruins of his life, looking at, 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 at the love you have for him, he receives you as his new daughter. And it's with great pleasure that you adopt him. Do you understand this morning how incredible it is what Christ has done for us? He planned to adopt you knowing every sin, every mistake, every failure, every flaw. He planned to adopt you, and none of that changed a thing. And for the Apostle Paul who wrote this, this was never lost on him. You can almost catch as you're reading through some of the letters that he wrote that he just couldn't grasp. How God, knowing that Paul was going to murder his bride, the church, how that would not change any of God's plan, but God still took great pleasure in adopting Paul as his son. What kind of God does this? Only a God whose love and grace and mercy reaches to the heavens, which leads to the next way in which we're blessed. The Bible says, um, and just it, it talks about his grace. And, and Paul understands something here, just before we get to this verse, Paul understands something that often in our, our world where we tend to be kind of self-centered and we tend to all, always be about us achieving and what we do and just we want to make ourselves out to be great. Paul understands something in all this. He understands that this has everything to do with God. And so he describes how we're chosen, we're adopted, and then says that this is to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Blessing number three is this. God's grace is freely given to us. Now, he's like the dad who adopts that broken 18-year-old, and and the son receives the gift of adoption. And even though his life is a total wreck, he's done nothing to deserve being adopted, the dad just loves him and is infinitely pleased with him. Why? Because this son is now his son. Don't ever make the mistake that, by the way, a lot of Christians make, of thinking that their acceptance in God's eyes is based on what they do. That it's based on, you got the long list of rules, and it's based on how well you do at following the list of rules. That's actually how religion works. That's not how it works with the God that we serve. Religion says that you're accepted if you obey all the rules. Christianity says you're accepted in, in a life of obedience flows out of knowing your heavenly father is pleased with you before you even do a single thing. I don't know if you've ever caught that whole passage where Jesus is being baptized, and and we we know how he's being baptized there, and the dove comes down, all that stuff, and then his heavenly father says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Did you ever catch that that happened before Jesus had done anything? That's that's what it's like to be accepted by our father in heaven. heaven. And, And this is it's just such a different way um, to live. And the difference between these two approaches to faith is night and day. It's the difference between living like Hetty Green as if you have nothing 
and living like a son or a daughter of the king. One is a heavy, heavy burden because you're always trying to earn God's love. You're always trying to earn God's acceptance. You beat yourself up when you fail. You're full of despair because you just can't get it right. The other is light because you know that no matter how good or bad you, you do at living the Christian life, your soul is at rest because you know that God's love for you does not change. Not one bit. And Paul continues telling us about the blessings. He says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The fourth big blessing that we see in this passage is this, we're redeemed. So if you go back to the adoption story, you know, how crazy, think about this for a second. How crazy would it be if that dad wanted to adopt that son, but the only way that he could adopt that son is if he was willing to give his own son up to die a horrible death. You go, okay, that doesn't make any sense. What kind of dad would actually want to adopt another son so bad that he would give up his own son to die a horrible death? It doesn't make any sense except in light of of the riches of God's grace, the riches of God's love, the riches of God's mercy, and that it was the only way that he could pay the price for our sin. He forgives, the Bible says, I I actually love this phrase here where it says, um, he forgives our sin in accordance with the riches of his grace. It doesn't say that he gives or he forgives from the riches. It says he gives in accordance with the riches of his grace. And, and the difference between these two is actually pretty, pretty significant. Imagine that this coming weekend, it's hot and sunny, and so you're, you go, okay, I'm going to head down to the Seattle area with my fam, and, and you decide you're going to be, you're going to head to Bellevue, and as you're there in Bellevue, you're kind of like walking around downtown. As you're walking down the sidewalk, you notice, oh, hey, there's Bill and Melinda Gates walking right towards you. And as you, you're walking down, you see they, they look at you, and they make eye contact with you. And, and he actually stops and looks at you, and uh, he says, hey, uh, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I just really feel like I need to bless you with a financial gift today. Now, I don't know where your mind goes in that second, but, but I'm thinking, okay, surely this multi-billionaire is going to pull out his checkbook and he's going to write me a check for a, like a million bucks because that's like pocket change to him. Or, or he's going to hand me the keys to his brand new Mercedes. And as you stand there in anticipation, he pulls out his wallet and he hands you a $25 Microsoft gift card. Now, I'd be thinking, okay, what am I going to buy with a $25 Microsoft gift card? Uh, that'd be the first thing that crossed my mind. And the second thing would be, you idiot. <laughs> That's it? 25 bucks? Uh, that would be giving from his riches, a very small amount from his riches. But giving according to his riches would be a much different thing. It would be him going, okay, Rich, I don't know if you have time, but hey, do you have time to actually drive down to my bank? I want to finish paying off the outstanding balance on your mortgage. And then what I'd like to do is I'd actually like to, I'd like to put $25 million in your retirement savings account. And, and then, then, Rich, what I'd really like to do, and this would just really bless my heart, is I want to give $100 million to the charity of your choice. That'd be pretty awesome for CTK Ferndale, by the way. <laughs> There's a difference between giving from your riches and according to your riches. And the Bible says 
that when it comes to the way God forgives us, that he forgives us according to his, the riches of his grace. And yet, there is always the person in the room that goes, there's no way that he could ever forgive what I've done. What I did was too big. But you have no idea. what you're, if, you, if, you, if you knew what I did, you'd be going, there's no way. We're, not, we're, not, we're, we're talking about God here who is full of grace and love. Uh, the, the, the Bible says that as high as the heavens are, are above the earth, so great is his, his, his love and his faithfulness and his goodness. And, and, and if you think that what you've done is too much for him to forgive, you know, you got to know that's a lie from the pit. There is no sin that can't be forgiven. Think yours is too great? Listen to what God's word, word says here. It says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So as you look back on your life and you go, man, it just got, what I did just got bigger and bigger. And there's no way he could forgive that. The Bible just simply says, oh, his grace just actually increased all the more. That's the kind of God that we serve. And when you give your life to Christ, he forgives it all. And this isn't just like he comes along and, you know, he sweeps it under the carpet and he kind of covers it up a little bit. No, it's a total erasing of our sins. The Bible says that as far as the, the, the east is from the west, which is to say infinity, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. That's the kind of God that we serve. And the blessings just keep coming. Paul continues writing. He says, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And, and what God has done uh, is he's revealed to us what it, how to be saved. You know, before Jesus came along the scene, um, nobody was anticipating that the salvation of the world would happen by God dying on a cross for us. No one, no one saw that coming. But God says, hey, I'm, I'm going to let you in on a mystery that has been hidden throughout all the ages. And then according to his good pleasure, he tells us the plan. I don't know if you've caught that in this passage here, but there's a lot of talk about God's good pleasure. If you see God as being this grumpy old angry dude up in space with a lightning bolt ready to strike, that's the wrong picture of God. We're, we're talking about a God who is just he is excited. He is full of joy and anticipation when he thinks about adopting us as his kids and then telling us his plan. It's, it gives him this, this great pleasure. Blessing number five is we're told the way to be saved. God's will is to save us through his son. And for any that are in this place today listening, God wants you to know that his desire and his plan is that you be saved through his son, Jesus. And the Bible says how this salvation can be yours. Uh, you believe in Jesus. Uh, you put your faith and trust in him. You turn from your old way of life, and you go, okay, this Jesus, I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna put my faith and trust in him. Even though I don't know what the future looks like, even though I, I haven't even scratched the surface of what, what it means to follow him or, or who he is, I, I don't care. I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus because I believe what the Bible says about this guy. And when you do that, the Bible says, hey, all these spiritual blessings, they're yours. Adopted. 
as a son or daughter of the king, lavished with his grace and his mercy. He pours it out all on you. You become a recipient of every spiritual blessing that is ours in Christ Jesus. And to be honest this morning, and this is a lot, I mean, those blessings that we just talked about are, are going to be really, I mean, we're, we're just going to be basking in that and trying to wrap our minds around that, I mean, really at least for the next 500 million years, and maybe we'll move on to the next one. But they're huge, huge. But then that's just the beginning. I mean, he, he wants to bless us with peace. He, he blesses us with freedom from guilt, freedom from shame. Um, he gives us this new identity as a loved son or daughter of the King of Kings, and they just go on and on and on and on and on. Don't go through life. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, don't go through life living like Hetty Green, like you have nothing. It's not, that, that is not your picture. You have been given every spiritual blessing that there is in Christ. And if you're here this morning and you go, Rich, I, I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus, but, but I want to follow this Jesus. I, the idea of having a father in heaven who loves me and cares about me and, is, is, and, and wants to adopt me so bad that he's willing to give his son on the cross for me, then I want to follow this God. I want to put my faith and trust in his, this God. You can do that right here, right now, today. It, the Bible says when you, when you confess that Jesus is Lord, when you... When you turn towards him, it's in that moment that you're saved. But let's be people that, that live our lives as, as with, within the reality of who we are, within the reality of how much Jesus has, has truly blessed us. And as we wrap up this morning, I just would love it if you could, if everybody across this room could just take a moment to bow your head and close your eyes all across the room. Let's do that. Worship team, why don't you join me up here on stage? And I just want you to pray a very simple prayer in the form of a question this morning. And, and here's the prayer that, that I'd ask you to pray. Lord, what is it that you want me to see this morning? What is it that you want me to see? Lord, of everything that we just talked about, Lord, what is it that you really want me to see? Or maybe a different way to put that would be, Lord, what do you want me to start believing today? God, what do you want me to start believing? I just want to give God a moment to speak to the depths of your heart this morning. God, what do you want me to start believing today? And the second question that I'd ask that you would pray just in quietness of your heart is, Lord, how do you want me to start living differently today? God, what, how do you want me to walk out of this room differently? Lord, after uh, just hanging out in this passage of Scripture this morning, God I, God, I get why Paul later on prayed that you would give us power to grasp all this. Because it is really, God, on our own, this is incomprehensible that the maker of heaven and earth adopts us into his family. So God, I pray that you would help us, God, not just 
right here and right now. But God, as we walk out of this room, help us to live within that reality. God, I pray that, that the truth of this would settle down deep into our hearts. God, to the point that maybe four or five years from now, somebody in this room is going to just completely blow up their life. They're just gonna, it's going to be just a complete train wreck. God, may in that moment, God, may they remember the posture of their heavenly father towards them. And God, may they be like that prodigal son who just comes running back to the open embrace of their heavenly father. And Jesus, I, I pray that, that Lord, uh, God, we would live differently. God, we would not live defeated. God, we would not live as people that, that, that have nothing when we've been given everything. God, I pray that we would live differently, knowing everything, God, that we've been blessed with. Help us in this, I pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.